time counts um, for our guests. Our, our guests this morning are Noah, Captain Rational. If you don't know who he is, where the hell have you been? Um, and you, Benjamin, nice to have you again, sir. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say when you know you you are you are going to take up one of these new emerging positions, and and do you kind of play those thought experiments out like so far ahead? And is that how you kind of calculate risk around it? Because I was thinking of doing like an article series. Obviously, we like to write about projects that we really like and sing their praises. But I was thinking about doing a, a like a complete reverse of that and saying why our favorite protocols will will fail. But I don't think it get as much traction. <laughs> oh, are I don't know. I think it might. Are we allowed to do that? I think it might. Everybody loves something? Bud. Everybody loves Bud. <laughs> but even the stuff oh, that yeah. we like, just like really digging into like what is the thing that can break it do you know what i mean i think that, that would be a... test your test your own bias around it yeah um, i think that would be an awesome series because there's a lot cool. of there's a lot of things that like i i think that part of what made luna luna's collapse so devastating to people is they hadn't done that they hadn't mm. done the game theory. I mean, I remember you and I were having a discussion about how that could blow up like two weeks before it did. But like, um, yeah. like, I it's just, I think that it would be good to have something like that in this space where some of these things require a lot of like game theoretic thinking and like, and really playing through like what all the risks are. What are, like, what are the types of like exposures they have? Like, do they have bridge exposure? Do they have like, uh, you know, if, if you could like sort of quantify these are the risks of this particular protocol, I think that would be incredibly valuable for investors to be able to look through and go, all right, these are all the holes that different people have been able to poke in this particular format. And, you know, like these are the risks that you're exposed to. And then you can make an informed decision as an investor, like if those are risks that you want to buy into or not. And, and or at least like use that as a risk management tool to make sure that you're not overexposed to like if all of your positions are exposed to a particular bridge that could break mm. <laughs> that's a bad position to be in because i'm not sure any of those are going to survive like they, they all <laughs> you know like it and so like i think that would be i think that would be really good i think that would be really good yeah, the, the two we'll, the, we'll call it the hard to break series, <laughs> and they all everything could fail, everything and anything. There's no restrictions, yeah. even the biggest, the biggest monetary I mean, policies. Yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely was thinking about that during the bull run. Uh, you know, it didn't really save my portfolio, but I was definitely thinking about, um, you know, how much do I want to keep on mainnet? How much do I want to have on each of these various things? How much exposure do I want to have to a, a potential bridge hack? Like how much, because I mean, if you're on an, another layer one, an alternate layer one or um, something like that, like you are, and you're holding, even if you're holding USDC, you're sort of like exposed to a, a potential hack in which, uh, somebody is finds a way to mint it on that layer and you might not have the actual usdc that you can turn in for for dollars you might have the one that becomes worthless and so these are things you need to think about when you're you're allocating to to these various protocols like are there like if you if you find yourself, for example, all in Danny coins, and then Sifu Gate happens, like you, you, I mean, you may have taken that risk, you know, <laughs> knowing that you were doing something stupid, but <laughs> but that's the thing, you did it knowingly, and and so I think it's it's a good idea to have like an idea of the types of risks and where you've kind of positioned yourself. You, you don't want to put all your eggs in one ecosystem or one basket, or maybe you do. And it's a concentrated bet, but like, at least you went into that, you know, knowing, knowing the risk profile. Yeah. Oh yeah. Risk is everything. I mean, the, isn't that what they say about the traditional finance? Uh, they're not investing. They're managing risk. Mm -hmm. It's all risk management. Well, that goes into never go all in, never spread too thin, and the words of wisdom that we've had over the years.
But uh, you, as Buffett says, you, you're not getting anywhere unless you make a concentrated bet. So uh, what's that play into? That plays into uh, make concentrated bets. If you win 51% out of the time, you're heading in the right direction. So. Yeah, so, so I mean, we've we've obviously discussed some some really important stuff in terms of the mechanics of not only the real world but the crypto world and how the crypto world translates into the real world. The question now for both of you, uh, no, no, to kick it off. I mean, it sounds like you've managed your your portfolio in 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 an adequate and in a risk prudent way um so well done for that i mean besides the commentary that you know you're obviously looking for and and the wisdom that you're seeking at the moment out of the market how are you positioning yourself for the next run you know the run that could elevate you sir to the next level what are you doing what are you planning how are you approaching it from that perspective all roads have led me to think that liquidity is everything. And that's why I stare at uh, DeFi Lama's liquidity presentation. How many stable coins are out there? So that'll tell me when capital is going to start to flow in and capital is going to start to chase opportunity and capital is going to start to flow to do whatever the hell it's going to do. Um, this week, obviously, you guys know we're on the verge of a historic monetary policy transition. And, you know, they, they use strange, complicated, convoluted phrases like the merge, which doesn't really describe what the hell is it doing. Um, this is a, a, a disinflationary collapse of a currency. And uh, that is um, going to be extraordinary, to say the least. Uh, what, what, that doesn't mean anything with regard to the price point. I could care less. I don't have much of a net position. I, I, I hold Ethereum so I could pay for transaction fees. It's a currency. I need to buy it so I could buy things that are denominated in it. And the one thing that's always denominated in Ethereum is the transaction fees. So in that regard, it's 100% a currency. Um, so that's a fascinating topic onto it so in that in that regard actually if you think of ethereum as a currency to purchase transaction fees and that could be like oil or because you have yeah. to have dollars to buy oil of course uh, it is. Of course ethereum it is. nodes are bonds because it is, a, it is completely risk-free if you don't think of dollar denomination if you're only thinking of the cost of ethereum for a transaction fee your bond is giving you ethereum Dollar denominated, obviously, there's risk all over the place. So that's another story. Um, so I have little to nothing to do for this week. I I have patience, and I have productive a productive portfolio. My portfolio produces capital on a weekly basis. It pays for everything that I could everything literally, and. Um, I'm sitting back waiting for liquidity to flow in. And then I look forward to transaction fees going just up, up only mode. And I mean, I, if the curve was cranking out, I, th I don't even want to say the numbers. It was just, and that was on just VECRV, like cash per week. It was just so much volume. It's extraordinary. And I look forward to that again. And I think the next run, obviously, everything runs cyclically. It's just going to be more pronounced. Um, but I, I love to look at the crypto space as an emerging market, as capacity to capture dollars. And we'll see that in, as we've been talking about liquidity. Um, and it's captured a significant amount of dollars. What are we, at $40, 50000000000 billion? In, in December of 2019, Uniswap had a half a million dollars on it. So we've captured billions of dollars of capital. Let's say we're, uh, let's say we're uh, Brazil. Not Brazil. Brazil. We're, we're a country, that, and we've captured dollars. What's the difference between a sovereign country and a digital country? Uh, all it is is products and services, and clearly there's a distinction with regard to commodities and, and real-world food and stuff, but there's still products, services, humans, operating enterprise, so the analogy is there. And this emerging market has captured capital, Capital has it has velocity. There's currency creation systems using traditional commercial 
uh, bank double entry accounting practices via CDPs, com uh, currency creation systems. Uh, there's banking. The Aave is a bank. If it walks like a bank, it talks like a bank, it is a bank. There's Forex markets. And, and, and there's never in history been a chance for the general public to own a piece of a Forex market. If I went to HSBC and said, here's a million dollars and here's a million euros, go make me a market, give me 0.02% transaction fees, they will look at you like you broke out of a mental institution. <laughs> but I go to Curve and say, here's a million dollars and here's a million euros. Curve won't even respond either, but they'll say, here's a, two little buttons to click on. Go have fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was my I rant mean, of how. I'm so, so I mean, the thing like is, it. the thing is, what I found, what I find really like intoxicating is that you are a kid in the candy store, and the reason why you are the kid in the candy store, I am as well. Just for the record, I mean, when I hear you speak, it's like it really does resonate for me in terms of like you know, I always speak about the gamification of everything, you know, and and the and the game is underway, and the game is underway. In all spheres, whether you going to the gross, going to the grocery store to buy groceries, or whether you're transacting, there's a freaking game that's being played all the time, and it's so tangible in the crypto space because you can see it playing out. It's what what you were saying earlier on, Ben, is that it's all there. You can see it. It's like this this marvelous like kaleidoscope of of things that are just happening, and you actually getting to participate in it. You are like slotting yourself in there and you're like, okay, I'm a part of this thing now. Whereas you don't really feel that when you're participating in the so-called real world in, in, in what is traditional finance. Um, but, but you never answered the one part of the question. And that is that, are you looking towards kind of like the future 100,000, 10,000 X play? Or is that not really something that you're interested in at this point in your career as an investor and as a markets observer? There's two things that I think about often. I don't take positions unless it's an appropriate position size, meaning if I can get, not get enough bang for the buck, I won't take a position. Um, and that you're not going to get with, uh, and that's easier to get with relatively new protocols, but with a new protocol, you have increased risk profile. So it worked out very nicely with Aura. I took a relatively small position. I bought 10,000 Aura, like, 80 cents so that went up like a couple hundred percent and turned into a, a weekly productive asset or bi-weekly productive asset of extraordinary proportions it's that thing's paying like 50 percent 50 percent a month relative to the initial <laughs> position size <laughs> but yeah that's how you measure it and then and half yeah. of the complexity of managing the portfolio is perspective so instead of measuring relative to its current price point measure relative to the entry price point and that that's that's what's significant and that means i shouldn't be buying at this current price point because it's not at a discount um and i'm biased because of that i have to be biased relative to my original entry price so because I am not. I can't get it at a discount. I can't take a position. So, if something screams to me, I could get cash flow potentially at a discount. I'm going to try and get a relatively nice sized position, and I'm going to try and calculate how much cash flow it can produce. Nowadays, I try and stick to like what Warren talks about, and I want to buy cash flow at a discount the best I can. Yeah. What am I going to do? What, what, what am I going to play? The adversarial game where it's like I, I'm taught. I'm tired of the adversarial game of uh, of capital gains because if I buy something and I'm just waiting for a thousand people to buy it after me so I could take their money, that's what it is. That's what capital gains is. <laughs> I'm taking the money of people that bought something after me. And I'm tired of that. I'll let other people worry about trying to m mentally rationalize and that, that is exactly... <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll do it. I, and you can't stop people from gambling, but I'm going to collect the rent and I'm going to take 0.02% of their transactions. I'll be like, all right, I feel bad about it, but if someone's going to take the rent, I'm going to take it. So you find so you find being kind of like the the guy who's cleaning up as opposed to the guy who's doing the killing. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I can rationalize that. You know, they're going to kill either way. They're going to do it either way. The gamblers are going to gamble. And, you know, as long as, you know, they, 
As long as you collect the rake, you're good. <laughs> they pay him rent. They pay him. Otherwise, get out. Get out. Go to another kid. He's running shop. the table. He's running the table. That's a wonderful business, owning a table at, at a casino. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, casinos are a great business. You can't stop people. <laughs> I mean, what what was it, the nanny state that says don't gamble? I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. I have my kids. I don't want them to gamble. I try and teach them how to be productive. And I, I went to school for engineering myself and, and what, what it means to do something meaningful. And But you're not going to stop people from gambling. So at, at least at least I could take some of their money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's how, I can't really say it any other way, but that's ultimately <laughs> the sentiment that I have. Like, you know, if you're going to well, gamble and be degenerate, give me a piece of it. Well, I mean, to, to some extent, I feel like it's the, the, the level of, of gambling and speculation that's in this, this area is just because there's, there's a, rec- a wide recognition that the rails being built here are good for more than speculation and and that eventually if given the proper legal framework outside of the crypto space you could be transacting all value on these rails and so you know i think some level of speculation is deserved (laughs) You make an excellent point. Listen, United States, if you want to pay a billion dollars in USDC to buy some stuff from China, I'm more than happy to let you send it in USDC. And then China, you could have it in USDT. I'm just going to take a little cut. Go for it. Go buy whatever you want, US. Go buy your goods from China. And I'll help you do the transaction for a little fee. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's slowly capturing, and and what's interesting to think about too is that like money tends to want to like I kind of talked talked about this earlier. Money wants to be free, like it doesn't want to be to be regulated. That's why all the banks are in the Caymans and on Lombard Street in the UK. Like that is why they've ended up in those places is because they can operate in a far more free way than they can in other, like other locations. And so those areas tend to, to grow. Right. And so Ethereum has been able to grow quite rapidly because it has been complete capitalist free for all. Yes. And, I do wonder if like, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about proof of stake and like the, the level of decentralization and, and regulatory capture from, uh, you know, the likes of uh, consensus and other things. Like, I'm not really commenting on any of that as far as like whether or not that's a, a, a real viable concern or not. But the thing to think about is if that capture happens, is that capital going to leave to go to another more free platform? And if so, what is it? And well, like, do we all just start buying Zcash or what? Like, no, we need the smart <laughs> contracts. The innovation isn't Ethereum. Uh, well, the, frankly, the monetary policy is a, a fascinating transition. Um, but the innovation is the uh, the EVM, the Ethereum Virtual Machine, which has reached critical mass because it's spread to everywhere, including Cosmos chains, Polkadot. Obviously, uh, it's the core yep. of uh, Avalanche, Phantom. Uh, the L2s exist. EVM is is the innovation. But if and e- that means if EVM gets captured, though, from a regulatory perspective, where does where does it run? <laughs> but I, I appreciate the the concern, and it's there in the back of my mind. But to me, I I think um, even just mainnet, even just mainnet, if uh, uh, any country could come along and buy uh, a critical component uh, to secure the network, um, yeah. and I just that's the adversarial uh, uh, game theory to play out there. If 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 one, and it all it takes is the first, and that's where we see that 
uh, cascading effect. Once the first tries to take control, someone else will say, oh, look what they just did. Oh, if we don't step in now, someone else is going to step in. And it just creates the, uh, the feedback loop that uh, draws people into the, the fight to participate yep. in a operation. Who's going to be the first nation state to, to carve out a piece of uh, Ethereum critical security? Yeah, I mean, well, that and I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got that. And then the validators are also, you know, approving transactions and and, and ordering transactions. And what do they do with that power? That's a, another interesting question once you've gone down that rabbit hole. I mean, come on, any of these countries, they print their own currency subjectively. It's not like they're dealing with deterministic monetary policy. I mean, the ECB <laughs> is just going to print, you know, print the trillion euros and, and buy all outstanding Ethereum and, uh, and buy critical c control over LDO and, uh, and Rocket Pool, RPL. And, you know, come on, they have a printer. What the hell are they doing? So, <laughs> I mean, it's a scenario that is interesting. Why would they not? I mean, Russia. You get wants, countries, uh, <laughs> countries sandwich tagging each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where Manifold and and Rook come in, and yep. there's plenty of. I mean, this it's just the beginning. I wish uh, I would have bought the most, dip on that one. Yeah, Manifold is hot, um, but but bear in mind it has very little liquidity. So it, that that's a perfect example, in my opinion, of great tech that's just not a good investment. Um, I just, I don't, I don't, it needs to have some sort of critical liquidity. Less than 1% liquidity uh, just was a turn off for myself, even uh, if I could get a discount on a, on a purchase. Um, I, you know, like 50 I hear they're going through a raise to increase yeah. liquidity. But which should be good. And, uh, <laughs> but then there's the speculative uh, potentiality for a position, but I, uh, uh, but it's very complicated to take on risk. Um, and, and I end up avoiding risk often because of it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. That's one of the more recent things I've in, in considered is, is Manifold. Um, it's such Me a too. significant component along with Rook. But, but the liquidity is just... I mean, literally, what, what's going on right now? If there's less than 1% bidding it up to like 86, down to six, 65 to 80-something, let's say... Uh, it's just, it's by definition, retail scrambling over scraps. How else can you argue what it is? It's they're scrambling over scraps. <laughs> so, so come on, you know, you know, there's a whale out there with 20,000 sitting around and you can see that right on Etherscan. So yeah, five, 10, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so I can't buy, you can't buy a meaningful part of that. What do you um, believe? What do you believe the catalysts will be for liquidity to re-enter the system? And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're entering into a bull market, even though it could very well be the catalyst to trigger a potential bull market. But what do you think the catalysts are that will bring about this influx of liquidity? And I'm sure you've. It's all about stable coins. It's all about capital yeah. expansion systems. If, if, if uh, I mean, a billion dollars seems like a lot, but let's say a country has an extra billion dollars and they're like, what the hell am I going to do with this billion dollars? It's just sitting here. It's doing nothing. All right. Oh, I could buy a billion dollars worth of Ethereum and borrow it and borrow capital, borrow a synthetic dollar against it. And I could, I could sell those synthetic dollars for dollars. And I literally just equity access that I didn't have to go through a bank and I have custody over all of it. And so it, it, it's just, that is really what I think drives the capital in is the freeness of it. It's the permissionless of it. And it's the uh, avoiding of traditional financial infrastructure of it. And um, uh, it's the global nature of it. You can borrow dollars in any country on the planet really permissionlessly without identity that's uh, uh it, it, it's um that that is so attractive to capital that'll just it'll, you don't even have to force capital in it's going to draw capital in by itself yep so why why have you not given up your day job and gone to advice for governments at this level 
Because, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me. I had a nice uh, presentation on the 27th, 28th, 29th. Why am I month. not surprised? Why am I not surprised? I rest my case. I didn't even know this, by the way. <laughs> well, nobody does, really. And it's it's uh, not really Ethereum-related. It's Digibyte-related. Go figure. I have... Uh, I, my, a lot of my roots started with uh, UTXO technology, but I always have a high opinion of their UTXO implementation. Um, and it's in brevity, um, you know, it's I, it's not a good financial investment. And that's something I've said very clearly over the years. But from a technology standpoint, it's the only UTXO chain that a government could take, uh, can provide meaningful security for that they could kind of adopt and say, here, we're going to provide X amount of hash, general public, go have at it. And it could be like a public-private partnership. Um, so it's a great opportunity for a sovereign nation to adopt an already existing public UTXO blockchain. Uh, and all they have to do is provide security and set up the incentive system, maybe do some monetary policy such that the token price is actually decent and stable. And, and all what is what is monetary policy? It's just the government stepping in as a market maker. So um, the, that's something interesting that's coming about towards the end of the year. Hmm. Uh, end of the year, end of the month. Um, oh, uh, uh, I always keep your day job. <laughs> I like the company I work for. It's a fintech company dealing with uh, gamification of uh, what's payments. It's, it's it has a, it should be done in crypto, and eventually it. It will be if uh, if everything heads in the right direction. Um, uh, it's monetization of content, monetization of eyes and click through to generate capital. We'll eventually end up with uh, debit cards. Click on ads, get paid, spend money. Does it surprise you that a man that's uh, worried about cash flow keeps the day job? It shouldn't. <laughs> that's that's uh, non-correlated cash flow right there. That's perfect. And measure your success in the crypto space relative to multiples of your day job. And if, you're, yeah. Yeah, if you get at least one X, you're heading in the right direction. And every multiple from there uh, is just how you measure your degree of success. Mm -hmm. Some of us have day jobs that are related to crypto. Go figure. That is yeah. a correlated, yeah. <laughs> correlated investment. Yeah. It's been an interesting one. And it's been fun. And we get to speak to you know, awesome individuals like yourselves. And, you know, this is our job. And this is what we do. It's fantastic. So oh, thanks it's for stunning. that. Yeah, it's a pleasure to participate always. We, and I could, we appreciate I you. We appreciate you, just so that you know. Um, so, I mean, liquidity coming back into the system, you're talking about big players. I mean, this is a big play, you know. Um, I mean, obviously... That's the ideal scenario. Do you believe that that ideal scenario is going to become a reality? Or are you forcing yourself to believe that? You think so, Ben? Capital flows in cycles. Capital flows in cycles. Capital will flow back in because there is opportunity. The only reason capital has flown out is because of an exogenous event. There's nothing endogenous to the crypto space that is pushing capital out. It's not like, it's not like the risk in the crypto space is extraordinary like some sort of systemic event happened that's pushing the capital out it's there's the exogenous risk that is drawing the capital out so people need the liquidity to service their debt obligations but when there's excess liquidity out there capital flows back in and really the model there is the emerging market capital flows the way india capital flows there brazil and it has to do with Capital flows there when there's excess liquidity in the U.S. And, so, and some investment bank says, I have an extra billion. What the hell am I going to do with it? All right, I'm going to invest it in some Brazilian mining operation. And bam, that's how capital flows there. Mm -hmm. The same thing with the crypto well, space. I mean, I already kind of talked about this part of it, but like the tools the Fed has basically push money into places like crypto. And so when everything breaks and they, 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 you know, end up changing course again, it's going to just push things back to this space. And the, if, if history tells us anything, it's that it'll only come back bigger. 
<laughs> and so you can you can rest assured that that the euro dollar system as well as crypto systems will not get smaller after they're backstopped. So they they raise rates. What? Uh, sorry, now go ahead. So why, why did capital start flowing back in the crypto with the ECB raising rates a couple of percent? That takes the pressure buy pressure off the dollar, or 75 basis points. But because the ECB is a large component of uh, the DXY, so that's why the DXY had a little bit of a top. But obviously, if they have an energy, more energy complexity, uh, there goes the buy pressure back on the dollar again, no matter how tight it gets over there. It's, it's relative. If it, if 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 the euro tightened a little bit, that loosened the dollar. It's just the inverse proportionality there as something that uh, at least I could conceptualize over the, the last week or so. I mean, in the same way that we compare APRs and things in crypto, if you evaluate them as sovereign nations, as uh, Noah has, like that, that, that stuff happens on a, on a global scale where you have countries going, hey, I can get five percent over in China and you know only two percent in the US I mean that's what that's where we were like a few years ago but now the tables have sort of turned there and so everybody's run into the dollar because we have the higher rates and so we're sucking liquidity into the dollar system by way of that that delta in the the uh, you know our our rates of return they want to they want to dry up the liquidity because they want to cure consumer price inflation demand destruction but the issue is obviously supply issues but how much how much can they try and destroy demand they're going to try and destroy demand to the point where the dollar crushes every single foreign fiat um it, this is obviously a game of weaponization in good part, they could say it's because of uh, what Russia has done in Ukraine. Um, but ultimately, they're going to have to cater to what the reserve currency is supposed to do. It's supposed to stabilize forex markets. If you want to be the reserve currency, you got to ensure stable forex markets. Otherwise, what are you doing? They're just abdicating their responsibility. And you know. there's an interesting like game theory to all of this because, like, I, I, I did a post on this in, on Twitter few weeks ago but like at what point does the dollar strength become a concern for global stability like at what point does the dollar get so strong that we are breaking our allies economies and you know the stability of their governments and at that point do we reverse course or if if the U.S. economy is good enough, do we just go, uh, I mean, I, th I think we're too interconnected for us to truly just be completely uncorrelated to what's going on around the world. I think eventually things will, it'll get bad here, too, and then they'll have the political cover to actually, uh, you know, make those moves of easing and stuff. But it's an interesting thing to think about because you, you don't want it. it it's it's almost I don't know how how many countries do you want to break in this round of the the milkshake? <laughs> Horrible, and they don't care because look, they didn't even the U.S. hasn't blinked an eye with regard to what they've done in Africa so far. Uh, was it uh, uh, Sierra Leone? Sierra Leone has already devalued their currency. Uh, was it Ethiopia? What, which currencies have gone bankrupt so far? Oh, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka um, is horrible. Yeah, Look, they don't. I, they don't bat an eye. No, Argentina is also not looking great. Yeah, Argentina. But no, they'll argue uh, that the the you can always say they took on too much debt, and that's what you know. If you take on too much debt, you're going to go bankrupt. But you're talking about people. You're talking about humanitarian crises. You're talking about you know hegemon and uh, and responsibility to manage forex market stability which is the responsibility of a reserve currency. So it's an absolute disaster. And when will it stop? It'll stop when it hurts at home. And unfortunately, that's after all that pain overseas in, in foreign fiat. Uh, and that's when uh, um, unemployment starts cranking 3 4 5%. Then it'll stop at home. But the, here's the problem. They're, they're acting, they behave at the central bank like it's a U.S. currency. And that 
to me. That's what's so insulting. It's not a U.S. currency. It's a global currency. That was the whole point of getting the whole planet to denominate every damn thing in dollars. It's not a U.S. currency. They yeah. treat it like it is. Yep. And and the reason that came about was simply, again, because of liquidity. We had more liquidity because after World War – actually, I mean, go back all the way to World War One. After World War One, we had like three-quarters of the world's gold. Like – and th that, you know, that never really balanced itself out. Like we never really fixed that. And so what happened is you had all this concentrated liquidity in one particular place and it just allowed the U.S. to just accumulate more and more and more power because liquidity sort of begets more liquidity. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a great statement. Yep. Opportunity draws in more opportunity, and uh, that just attracts more capital. So, so that's very consistent with the statement. Um, uh, directionality persists until capitulation. Capital will continue to flow in a particular direction until some sort of criticality is reached, and then it reverses. Is there is there a basis for discussion slash argument for the Fed to print more money? Well, yeah, there's a dollar shortage of extreme proportions, and the, for the Fed to print money would be that for them to unfuck forex markets. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it is not print, you know, uh, and also uh, uh, security shortage, uh, as in uh, treasuries. US, to, to USTs are money. They are yes. like printing treasuries is is printing money. Yep. And the way I see it is the Fed is, is really just a reserve tank to, to soak up excess treasuries and release them as needed. And they don't actually print the money, but they, they can sort of print reserves and then buy USTs with them to fill up their reserve tank. And then, you know, they can distribute them or collect them and they can buy other assets uh so, but the, the most important question is if they print more does that mean number go up <laughs> well we've seen a correlation really, between the fed balance sheet and and risk markets yeah it's it's definitely a factor i mean the problem is that it's just not sustainable right <laughs> well i mean like i said like the fed balance sheet is a reflection of the amount of intervention we've had to take in in overseas dollar markets and 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 saving parts of the system that don't fall under our regulatory control. So, like, if if all the money markets of the world start failing because of some issue in the euro dollar system, you can be damn certain that they're going to step in and fix that, regardless of whether money market funds fall under their purview or not. Because where is everybody's all their constituents like uh, retirement accounts depend on those money market funds being worth $1 for $1. Like yeah. if you lose that peg, you have just mass societal eruption. And, <laughs> and the Fed is a political organization, whether they want to admit it or not. Yeah, too big to fail, written across the entire spectrum. I mean, it's what I find really fascinating about obviously the discussions that we've had over the the last few months is that, you know, we kind of thought, well, I did anyways, and I think a lot of people share the sentiment is that we we were under this illusion that, you know, like crypto was going to be like this, this, the separate isolated entity that was potentially going to solve a whole lot of these problems that we have in this world. And now we've had close to two hours discussion on how, you know, it all is very much, you know, embellished and, and, and convoluted and it's all interwoven into one another. And obviously it is. It's kind of like the most obvious thing. It's like, well, if you're talking about money, you know, and that's obviously a separate discussion. What is money and how does it work? But we've pretty much established that money is, you know, this, this transfer of ideas, energy, doesn't matter how you perceive it, but it's, it's an agreement that you and I reach and we go with it and crypto is no different ex except that crypto is just more transparent, but the rules still apply. 
And it's kind of like it's a bit of a bummer because I think a lot of us were hoping that maybe we could bypass a, a few of these rules so that we didn't have to deal with, you know, monetary policy and, you know, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's very relevant and it's even become more relevant now because it's been accepted as, you know, a part of transacting and as, as, as money. Like you said, Ethereum yeah. is money. You know, you, you described it very eloquently and very beautifully. The fact that I'm using it as a form of payment for gas, it's money. End of story. The argument is open and closed. No more further. And now we're sitting at this, this crossroads where we are participating in world monetary policy. Yes, we're small. Yes, we are fairly insignificant. But we are getting to, to really see a, a reflection of that, obviously on a much smaller scale. And I find it fascinating. I find it very exciting. But I also find it very daunting because I hear a lot of bad news in the discussion that you guys have presented today. I mean, it's like there's a lot of bad news. They understand why. I mean, I'm starting to see, you know, how relevant all of this stuff is in light of the complexity of the economic problems that we have. And it makes me a bit sad. But then it's also pretty cool that we get to to see the transparency of it play out in front of us as opposed to never being clueless, you know, like the whole way on the bright side bottoms don't happen when there's good news to talk about <laughs> so like yeah that final capitulation event happens when everybody is like there's this whole market has been destroyed forever like think about the oil market in 2020 when it went negative on the on the etf oh <laughs> and like that event is why we are here right now talking about an oil shortage. It's because so many distiller, like, uh, or um, not distillers. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Those are for? good too. Yeah, those are good too. But like, <laughs> that, <laughs> you, might need, you might need some distillers. But um, after all this, yes, refineries. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. So like, all the oil. Um, anyone in that industry. Like there was so much capitulation that happened at that point because there was they, it had been a bear market for a long, long time in that industry just because of cheap oil prices and cheap energy prices. And eventually it just that was the final capitulation where everybody just goes, you know what, I'm shutting this thing down. I don't know when this COVID thing's going to end. I have no idea if anything's coming back. And that capitulation. That led to where we are now with like, you know, 80 to hundred dollar barrels of oil, you know? So like it's, it's always in that, that when there's blood in the streets, <laughs> that, <laughs> that is where the, the turn happens. I'm not too worried about uh, like a final capitulation. I just think the opportunity is paramount. Uh, it's the permissionless nature of it. And I find the regular regulation attempts to be, be humorous in many regards it's like a company this is like the extent of what the reality is is a company opens up in the u.s and they be told to go to the sec for registration and like all right fuck it i'm just going to go over to england and do the same thing in the u.s because it's hosted on ipfs or whatever and the united states people still have full access to it just as if i was operating the u.s except i'm not in the u.s and i'm doing it overseas so this it's it's a global layer of interaction that uh, the crypto space represents and facilitates. So I find the nation states trying to execute um, regulation quite humorous. They, they don't know what they're doing. They're not having the conversations that matter mm -hmm. when they're not having the conversations with the right people that have a capacity to conceptualize what is actually going on. I think there's also just an incentive thing they, they're not incentivized. They, they benefit. The, the, the people that, that are in power benefit from the current system. They are products of that system. They benefit from the construction and the structure of that current system. And so they, it's not, they have no incentive to understand this new system because they just want it to go away and so that things can go back to the way they were before. And I think that that's part of the problem. Like if they really wanted to, they could just make a CBDC that, that was exactly like cash that was just as, as uh, like um, 
you know, anonymous and just as like, you know, unregulated as cash. And it would, all these like sort of concerns about, oh my gosh, these stable coins, they could destabilize the entire world. Well, yeah, well, you could fucking fix that. You could fix that by making it so that the Fed can print reserves and they're just as good as money, but they're in a CBDC form and it's completely anonymous and completely like, you know, private, just like cash is. You could fix that with something just like that, but they don't want that. They want to make something that's less useful, that's more like surveilled and, and just more terrible so that they can exert power on you. But like, it's, I think it's sort of like the like music industry that was struggling with, with all the downloads in like the early 2000s. Everybody's like, well, hey, uh, why are all these kids downloading all this stuff? And it's because downloading music was way more convenient than buying CDs and physical media. And the thing is, like, you, you had underserved customers. All they wanted to do was be able to stream music digitally and to be able to have digital music easily accessible to them. And if you did that in a way that actually made sense, then people would use it. But the problem is the governments don't want to give you the product that you want, which is just cash digitally. They want to give you a different product that sucks. And so you use stable coins instead. He says. Here, here. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, we, I, uh, we could end on one sobering reality. Uh, that if the Fed wanted to, they could shut down the global system and pull the plug by jacking rates through the roof, t- turning off the liquidity taps, and then the only thing that remains are U.S. dollars and U.S. sovereign debt obligations in the form of T-bills and bonds. Um, and in exchange, there would be no other operating foreign country. It would oh, there would be no other market other than U.S. dollar markets. Every other foreign fiat would be gone. But this is uh, this is the world that we live in, and this is the the acceptance and processing of the the risk calculation. If they subjectively decided to do that to eradicate foreign fiat, they could. So how do we process that from an emotional standpoint? How do you proceed? Had how do you create a portfolio that exposes to any risk if that's literally the extent of the risk on the table? So those are the the the, the, the mental exercises that I uh, I burden myself with quite often, and <laughs> and and then and like and, and there's there's a way to put, construct the portfolio, and that's just a cash position, and that accommodates it significantly. And do they really want to crush every single other currency out there? Who the hell is going to produce our produce various exports it doesn't make any sense so at some point there will be a bottom there will be a cycle an emerging market cycle and liquidity will flow in the other direction and everything will be happy happy joy joy until everything gets all fucked up again (laughs) (laughs) we will get an opportunity to to do a a repeat of this and then hopefully (laughs) when we do do the repeat let's hope it doesn't take too long because the next one we have might be as sort of depressing as this one, but let's hope the next one is a lot more positive and we're somewhat euphoric and we can all compare our bags and, you know, smile and wave. <laughs> this is my euphoric. I'm excited. This is lovely. We're prepared. Let's just remember, guys, just remember. The worst it could get is like mid-2019 and everything is boring. The markets are dead. If you if you were not in the market at the end of 2019, you were not exposed to the most explosive market conditions in the last half a decade. If you weren't in the market and then you hit the market in Uniswap and everything that happened by May of 2020 was such an eruption of DeFi summer. But you had to be in the market to even get a sense of what the heck was going on, to even begin to potentially try and construct a portfolio to be exposed to the right things versus the wrong things. Well, we do have that privilege, right? Because we hear, we participating, we commentating, you know, we try and invest. We get it wrong most of the time in this market. Like you said, you should not be trying in this market because you're fighting for scraps. 
And yes. but we're lucky. Well, we're very lucky from that perspective. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I am in the space, and once again, that I'm doing what I'm doing at the moment. It's good fun. This is the time to be in the market, and I say that obviously with my pension to carry a message to everyone not just yourselves but everyone that listens is this is the market to be in i've i've seen equities i've seen my my reits and whatever the hell i do over in equities land it is it is boring it is cobwebs <laughs> it is slow it is clearing times and ach three-day confirmations and this is the most exciting market and the place where my capital belongs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the reason, part of the reason the TradFi markets have become that way is because the, the system around rent extraction on every step of the way has become so entrenched that like, if you invest your money over there, all the returns just go to other people that aren't you. Yeah. And, and so like there, you, you got people taking, taking chunks away. Like your whole 401k is basically just like a tool for money managers to make money. And like, they take all your choices away. They, you know, it's, it, it's just a bad system to return value to, to you, the investor. So yeah. we don't have those levels of ossification yet. And, uh, in, in crypto. And so you can actually make the money here. It'll reboot. It will. <laughs> It'll happen. But in the meantime, let's make some money. Which is, which is what, what we plan on doing. And that's why Blockmates exists. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Um, yeah, you guys been awesome. It's been awesome to have you on. We've had good fun. A lot of great info. Yeah, really appreciate it. And to everyone who's listening, please like and subscribe. It means a lot to us, um, and it allows us to carry on doing what we're doing. And that's to give you guys proper cutting-edge information for free. So bring it on. Thanks, oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, both, gents. <laughs>